Hello and welcome to Irish History Walks. My name is Patrick Walsh and I live in Ireland, more specifically Wicklow. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be exploring the history of Wicklow and wherever else is within driving distance and not too far away. Dublin, Wexford, Kildare. I'll be exploring some of our lesser known history that could be hidden right on your doorstep. In this podcast, I'm going to explore the 5,000-year-old Seafin Passage tomb in Wicklow, and I'm going to go over my visit to the Newgrange tomb in Meath. Once again, before we start, I'd like to point out that I am not a historian, so this podcast should not be used as an academic reference. Whilst I strive to make my podcasts as historically accurate as possible, the making of this podcast is as much a learning process for me as it is anybody else. So, Get in touch if I get anything wrong. Before I start talking about my little adventure to the top of Seafin Hill, I think we need to explore the Neolithic period. How did people live? What were their beliefs? When in fact was the Neolithic period or the New Stone Age? How long did it last? So when was it? Right. It's a bit confusing initially. There isn't a straightforward answer to that question. The Neolithic period varies date-wise according to what part of the world you're talking about, and is actually defined by the technology available to a specific people or civilization, not the actual year. The Neolithic period is the time span when late Stone Age technology was present in Europe, Asia and Africa. In Europe, that's 6600 BC, right up to 2500 BC, which marks the start of the Bronze Age, brought about by the introduction of bronze tools. Even then, the time periods, according to experts, are approximations. They aren't set in stone. Get it? (laughs) Set in stone? Sorry, I couldn't resist. The actual duration of the Neolithic period also varies from place to place. So in Southeast Europe, it lasts approximately 4,000 years whilst in parts of Northwest Europe, for example Ireland, it lasts just 1,500. It's much shorter. The Neolithic period didn't start in Ireland until 4000 BC. Why? Well, it's only natural, of course, that it would take longer for technology to reach our little island, bearing in mind the Neolithic period reached Europe via Greece. I hope that all makes sense. There was in other parts of Europe a Copper Age, But truth be told, at this point, I'm starting to confuse myself, and I've got a Neolithic tomb to visit. So many European Neolithic groups share basic characteristics, regardless of where they lived, much as we do today. People lived in small-scale, family-based communities of perhaps 20 to 30 individuals, multiple communities forming tribes. Often tribes people would live on higher grounds for strategic reasons, Tribes were often at war with one another, so unfortunately not much has changed there then. The Neolithic people ate domesticated plants, mostly cereals, so for example wheat and barley, allowing them to bake, or make, should I say, bread, seeing as they would cook bread on stones placed in the fire. Does that count as baking? I don't know. They supplemented their diet with the collection of wild plant foods and hunted wild animals, which they would cook on an open fire. They also farmed and ate livestock, so pigs, goats, cattle, etc. 
The Neolithic people produced pottery made without a potter's wheel, allowing them to store food, and the polished stone axe proved absolutely essential. The humble axe allowed them to clear forests for agriculture whilst providing firewood. Communities lived in small huts with thatched roofs with an opening, allowing for an indoor fire. The walls would have been constructed using the wattle and daub technique, wattle being thin strips of wood, daubed with clay, straw, animal dung, anything that would stick, in other words, that provided protection from the elements. Neolithic societies also held their own beliefs about life and death. They tracked the position of the sun throughout the year, as well as the moon and the stars. It is thought that the movement of the sun especially defined their beliefs. Neolithic people travelled mainly on foot, but also further afield by boat, using rivers and the sea, exchanging ideas and objects with their neighbours. So in Ireland's case, that would be Britain and even northwest Europe. Writing hadn't been developed, but information was shared by word of mouth and through symbolic objects. You know, it would be all too easy to assume that somehow Stone Age humans were backwards or somehow inferior. But truth be told, I'm personally very impressed with the way in which people found solutions to everyday problems. There are times when I myself think, wouldn't it be great if we all lived a simpler life, abandoned consumerism and lived in harmony with nature tied closely to the land? We think of stones as inanimate objects, but for the Neolithic people, they were alive. However, as romantic as that might sound, soon logic prevails. The reality is, life would have been so unbelievably hard back then. A lack of medicine and knowledge of disease meant that the average life expectancy during the Neolithic period could have been as low as 35. For women, it would have been even lower, childbirth being so incredibly dangerous. Not to mention the fact that the men who often took on the role of the hunter usually fed themselves better. I hope I was able to paint a picture of what life might have been like back then, perhaps. So, what is a Neolithic passage tomb? Passage tombs are mainly found in eastern and northern Ireland, although there are a few examples in the south and west. They were built during the middle to late Neolithic period. In Ireland that would be 4000 BC through to 2500, and probably originated in western France. Passage tombs tend to be architecturally more sophisticated than portal tombs, or dolmens as they are known here in Ireland. Okay, so I did say I would talk about my day out at Seafin Hill, but I did also visit Newgrange, another Neolithic passage tomb situated in the Boyne Valley Meath. I know Newgrange isn't actually off the beaten track, so it doesn't really fit the theme of my podcast. It's actually a national treasure and a tourism hotspot. But it's so relevant to the tomb at Seafin that I thought it was important to go just to gain an understanding of what the tomb at Seafin would have looked like. Newgrange is far more complete, having been rebuilt in the 1960s and 70s, so I thought it would be beneficial for the sake of the podcast. Also, it was my birthday and proved to be an epic day out. Well, except for the drive home down the motorway through sheets of rain. Not good. 
I cannot describe my excitement seeing the national monument that is Newgrange for the first time. Constructed in 3200 BC, it is incredible to think that it's actually older than both Stonehenge and the Pyramids of Giza. I couldn't believe how big it was either. I really had to force myself at times during the tour to keep my excitement under wraps, hold it all back, play it cool, you know? I didn't want to embarrass myself. I don't think I'd ever be able to live it down. The New Grange Monument is a large mound built of alternating levels of earth and stone with grass growing on top and has a reconstructed facade of white quartz stones studded here and there with rounded cobbles. You enter the tomb at Newgrange, navigating a 19 metre long passage formed by erecting large stones and laying flat slabs across them that support all of that earth and rock above. It was quite a squeeze and you find yourself constantly ducking to avoid hitting your head. If you are claustrophobic, you might want to reconsider paying a visit. Seriously, that's not even a joke. At the end of the passage is a large central chamber with three smaller connecting chambers branching off. Each of the smaller chambers has a large flat basin stone where the bones of the dead were deposited. The main chamber has a high corbelled vault roof, so basically that's stones that overlap one another like giant roof slates acting as counterweights for those immediately around. Many of the stones are also decorated with Stone Age symbols including the famous Newgrange tri-spiral, which is probably the most famous example of Irish megalithic artwork. If you haven't seen the spiral before, you'll recognise it instantly. You often see it on Irish jewellery. It looks Celtic in origin, but precedes the Celtic period by over 2,500 years. I still can't believe just how old Newgrange is. It boggles the mind. The chamber was also covered in graffiti, which had a sort of historical significance all of its own, names and dates going back to the early 1800s. Somehow, they serve as a reminder of just how fleeting life is. How many generations has the tomb outlived? Now my day out. The drive to Seafin Passage tomb for me was absolutely beautiful. I drove through Sally Gap, Wild Island at its very best. A sea of heather with mountains in the distance carving up the horizon. It's such a shame the heather wasn't in bloom. It would have washed the landscape in a beautiful and yet psychedelic purple. The road snaked its way across the almost Martian scenery. The bronze heather made me feel like I was travelling across the surface of Mars, not Ireland. There were sheep chilling by the sides of the road and I really had to slow down. There were no fences, and they didn't seem bothered at all by me. I guess they must be used to passing cars. Amazingly, I crossed over the River Liffey, which was just a small river this far inland. Constructed approximately around 3300 BC, the Neolithic Passage Tomb at Seafin stands on top of the 650 meter high Seafin Hill. So, older than Newgrange then. Parking in the area wasn't difficult, but the car park was easy to miss. It's only a small lay-by by the side of the road. The tomb isn't too far from the car park, but the actual path up the hillside is hard going. You don't need to be a hiker to make it up to the top. 
Good shoes and a walking stick and plenty of drinking water should suffice. But even so, you'll need to be careful and well prepared. The path is more like a giant stone staircase with slippery mud in sections, so you want to be relatively fit before you attempt the climb. And coming down in places, the walk turns into a game of it's a knockout. I almost fell over at one point, treading on some slippery roots, and I'm pretty careful. About halfway up though, I found a large rock with a perfectly formed hollow for your bum. Honestly, it was super comfy. Maybe the stone has been worn away by thousands of years worth of tourists taking a breather. The path runs along the boundary of the Kilbride rifle range. The army wasn't out shooting on the day, but I did hear the occasional quiet crack in the distance breaking the silence. Interestingly enough, there were numerous rock formations to be seen nestled on the hillside as you climb, and it isn't obvious what they are, but they don't look natural. They look man-made. Maybe it's rubble from the tomb that has been left there by looters whose actions have been lost in time, undocumented. The views that unfold around you to the top of the hill are just simply spectacular. The whole of South County Dublin and Wicklow opens up around you, mountains carved out of the land, a patchwork of fields and forestry, the glistening Blessington Lakes in the distance. Whoever built the Seafin tomb certainly must have had significant status. It's almost as if their final whispered message to their departed loved ones as they laid them to rest were, everything you see before you belongs to us. Look what we have built. Who was buried at Seafin? We'll never know. We are harking back to a time before records began. The tomb was excavated by R.A. McAllister in 1931, but he didn't find any artefacts or human remains in the tomb. So, nothing to send back to the British Museum then. 1931? Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> the remains might have been moved by the descendants of the tribe. If they decided to migrate from the area, then they may have wanted their ancestors with them. Whatever the case may be, it is strange that 5,000 years ago, multiple families, perhaps an entire tribe, worked together to construct an elaborate tomb only to then leave it empty. Bearing in mind the short lifespan of individuals at the time, it would have taken multiple generations to construct. It must have been looted. The tomb at Seafin is a large stone cairn, about 25 metres in diameter and roughly 3 metres high. It isn't covered in earth like Newgrange. The mud has washed away over the years to expose the naked stones underneath. You could almost mistake the tomb for some sort of ancient molehill belonging to a colossal extinct animal of some sorts. You can see a number of large curbstones around the base of the tomb defining its outer edge. Construction of the tomb would have been an incredible feat of engineering 5,000 years ago. The name Seafin translates to Seat of Finn in Irish, and the tomb has been mentioned in ancient stories as being the entrance to the other world and home of the gods. Moving the huge boulders, for example the curbstones that still remain, would have been an incredibly difficult task. During the Stone Age, it is believed that humanity had possibly not invented the wheel yet. They would have had to have been pulled perhaps 25 kilometres by hand across logs that could be rolled. 
The tomb has a passageway around 10 meters long and opens into a chamber with five compartments, which is now roofless unfortunately, perhaps due to neglect or damage over the years. The entrance is so cool, a narrow opening marked by two slightly diamond-shaped stones. According to McAllister, they are supposedly inscribed with megalithic art. But truth be told, I couldn't make out any. I should have brought some tracing paper and an oil pastel. Come to think of it, that would have been so cool. Damn. Megalithic art? Basically, that's artwork inscribed on any large stone that has been used to build some sort of prehistoric monument or structure. There are apparently other examples of artwork to be seen, eyes and swirling motifs, but I'll be honest, I couldn't find any of them. It isn't known whether the artwork actually symbolises anything. We know that the Neolithic people worship the sun, so could the swirling spiral motifs be a representation of that? Perhaps the diamonds represent the fields and the zigzags water. Your guess is as good as anyone else's. I went on a bright autumn Sunday, so there were a few people around. Whilst photographing the tomb, I met Derek Kavanagh, a maker of musical instruments. He was taking photographs of a stringed instrument resembling a mandolin that he had made. A bazooki that he had named Seafin, as the passage tomb's shape was reflected in the sound box. I think it's called a sound box. As impressive as Newgrange is, I do love the mystery that surrounds the Seafin tomb. It's so wild on Seafin Hill and so off the beaten path. I absolutely love that sense of exploring the unknown. It's so much fun. What am I going to find? Am I going to find anything at all? Finding the tomb, I could really soak up the atmosphere and meditate on the meaning of life and what it meant to our ancestors. I could freely wonder at the mark that they made on the landscape to communicate that without the trappings of a busy tourist site. At Newgrange, you're bust in, you go on the half-hour tour, and you can't help but feel like you're on a conveyor belt of some sorts. At Seafin, you could sit there for hours if you wanted to. Having said that, Newgrange is amazing and well worth a visit if you don't fancy hiking up a mountain. That brings to an end my fourth podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Patrick Walsh. I also provided the musical score, took care of mixing and so on. But shout out to Pixabay Sounds and Sound Bible, Mike Koenig and so on, for all the stock sound effects. <laughs>